0: Where we strive to broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, we are going to be bringing you an author interview. See His novel, Symphony of the Wind, is a finalist for this year's Spiffbo competition. I hope you have fun listening. And that was Bran, who wanted to help Dada do an intro this morning. So, uh, I'll get the quick spiel out of the way, and then we'll get to Steve's interview. You can find us on Facebook, the NerdBook Review Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter with the handle NerdBook Review. You can email us on Gmail, or you can see our reviews on Goodreads. We would love it if you would leave a rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to this podcast. Anything else you need to say, buddy? Have fun listening. The Nerd Book Review is happy to welcome Steve McKinnon, the author of Symphony of the Wind and Boldly Going Nowhere, a book that we'll have to make sure we talk about. Stephen, how are you doing today?
1: Hi, I'm very well, Cameron. Thank you for inviting me on, and I'm, I'm glad we got to sit down and do this. We've been talking about it for a while, so I think we're both excited to, to plow on, though.
0: Yeah. yeah um yeah. yeah, and like I said, I <laughs> like I said earlier, sorry, it took so long to get there. Uh, things just got crazy for me this year. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Life happens, Don't don't sweat it.
0: Yeah, so Steve, can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure,
1: okay. um you can probably tell from my accent that I'm from Scotland, so I live in Glasgow, which isn't the capital of Scotland, but it might as well be. Sorry to anyone listening from Edinburgh. Um, (laughs) I work at the University of Glasgow School of Law. That's my day job. I'm an advising support administrator. So I'll have a lot of students come to me, mostly to sort things out with their curriculum, but often I'm the first point of contact if there's a mental health issue or something deeply personal going on that they think might affect their studies. Um, So I'll get the ball rolling and helping them um, resolve that. So it's very customer-facing, it's good and it's very rewarding.
0: How did you uh, get started with that then? Because I know your your background's in creative writing, correct?
1: Sure, yeah, Yes. Yeah. So I don't have a degree or diploma or anything, but I did do creative writing at the, the same university as I work now. So that's always been something that I've done um, as, a, as a hobby mainly. Okay. So yeah, um initially the first university job I got was the University of Aberdeen, which is towards the north of Scotland. Um and that was a lot different to the job I'm in just now. But um so yeah, this role that I do didn't quite exist in the School of Law before so I think I'm kind of a guinea pig for that <laughs> um but it, it, I've been in it over three years now, so I think touch wood, we're we're happy with each other
0: oh that's cool um so do you have any uh uh like hobbies outside of uh between work and and writing that you like to to do
1: yeah um I enjoy going to the gym as much as I can um not that I'm a kind of fitness. <laughs> geek or anything like that um, it's it's a goal mainly for the mental health side like i find it's a good space to get the endorphins going and um, it's good to have some time myself to think about like stories or things that aren't really working well it's good to engage a different part of the brain um, and the gyms really kind of facilitates that um, I also follow the band Iron Maiden around the world. I'm a big kind of old school heavy metal fan um, and I've seen Iron Maiden about 15 times all over <laughs> Europe. So that's good. Well, I, th- I find it good. Other people uh, kind of look at me and raise an eyebrow when I tell them that. But it's, it's a good way to see the world following a band.
0: <laughs> yeah, um... Uh that's funny that you mentioned an Iron Maiden um Barry who comes on the podcast every once in a while. He's our guy that does all the old sci-fi books. He's a huge Maiden right. fan. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, he he uh he loves all of the the 80s bands and and uh, um Good man. Yeah. <laughs> so so you'd have a kindred spirit there. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, this a question I have to ask cuz uh um I I too am a uh, Battlestar Galactica fan. Is it the the greatest piece of science fiction and fantasy (laughs) of all time, or do you have something else you prefer? Uh,
1: It's up there. Um, It's definitely up there. I'm I'm not familiar with the original Battlestar Galactica. Um, It's more the reimagined one that I'm into. Um, Oh, yeah, it's so good, isn't it? I think think Buffy the Vampire Slayer might be my favorite, but Battlestar is,
0: is up there. All right. I'm you know, I am a Buffy fan too. Uh probably not quite on the same level you are, but uh, I do love Battlestar Galactica though. So
1: Yeah, good. No, awesome. Uh yeah, we we could devote an entire podcast just to that. I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, it that's that's one thing I think um well, I have watched some of the original and people who I don't if you ever have any kind of like purists, will be like, "Oh, the original is better." They're wrong. It's just <laughs> the, the remake with the uh, this the, the special effects ability and changes. You know, it's just so much better.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and especially the the time that that came out. Oh, um, came out what kind of early two thousands? Um, there was a a lot of the kind of war on terror was kind of in full swing at that point, and there's some really interesting parallels between this kind of what started as a kind of hokey sci fi show. And it kind of just takes so much from real life as well. And it really makes you think, oh yeah, I, w- I was blown away. Like I'd, I'd seen trailers and stuff for it and thought, oh, that looks okay, I'll get to it eventually. But it wasn't until, I think the show might have even been over or it was in its last season where I think my brother recommended it to me. So we sat down and we watched it. And yeah, I was, I was hooked right from the get go.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So you took some classes in uh, creative writing and I assume you did some writing before that, if that was uh you know a, a thought process where you were going. how did you get into writing
1: um, I think it's i've always been attracted to creating my own just kind of stories and worlds um and i think i think I, I had a passive interest in acting as well at the same time when I was younger, but i'm um, bit too introverted, I think, for, for um, acting and being on stage, so writing just seemed to fit really well because I can do it in a dark room sitting by myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's always something I've, I've enjoyed, uh, and I think if you enjoy something from the get-go while still realising that there's work to be done, um, I think you'll, you'll grow to just love it and appreciate it even more.
0: Cool. Um, Who were your influences growing up and and how would you describe your writing style currently?
1: Um, Growing up, I was always attracted to like this surreal and humorous stories. So Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl was my favorite childhood book. Um, And as I grew up, that kind of led naturally to Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams. Um, I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a phenomenal book, and I've not read every Discworld novel by Terry Pratchett, but I've read probably most of them, and yeah, it's just it's just on another level. Um, so as much as I would love to describe my own writing style as similar to those guys, I think I'm probably very different, um, which is, is, is fine as well. I, I don't want to try and emulate the <laughs> people that um, I love because you're you're never going to succeed <laughs> that. Uh, You need to kind of find your own voice. So, hopefully, I've done that. I'm not sure who I would describe the kind of current writing style to, but there was an early review on Goodreads where someone said, reviewing Symphony of the Wind, said that the writer doesn't do anything fancy in a good way. So, (laughs) that's a compliment. I'm I'm hoping that that's something that remains true. Um, But, sorry.
0: Oh no go ahead yeah I was just going to say I can see that um I actually think that you can see a little bit of the of uh, Adams and um Pratchett in like the the ironic humor of your characters like when they're in a terrible situation or something like that especially like Gallows and uh um his uh his partner um Jeez at the, at the moment uh he is it, is is it Tyson Gallows or is Tyson his partner? I, I'm
1: yeah Tyson Gallows okay, and Damien Fieri, so they're the 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 Bounty Hunter characters.
0: There we are. Yeah, sorry, it's it's been uh, now it's been a few months since I've read the book. So, <laughs> but yeah, so um, I think that uh, the relationship maybe between uh, um, Damian and and Tyson is uh, you can see that like that dry that ironic humor that they have maybe in there.
1: Good, good. I'm I'm glad that's something that came across because those. Those guys are always good fun to to write about, even when like something really bad's happening around them. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I hope that comes across.
0: Yeah. Um, so before we get really into talking about Symphony of the Wind, though, I think we need to talk about uh, your first book, which I uh, I have not read, but I was reading uh, reviews of and um, like the description of. Can you can you tell us about your first novel? It's not a, a traditional fantasy novel, is it?
1: No, no. So boldly going nowhere is—I would describe it as creative non-fiction because it's a non-fiction book um, about a, a time in my life. Um, but it does have a like a narrative throughline from A to B. Um, so essentially, I've—I was unhappy. I had anxiety issues, and I was kind of stuck in a rut, which. I think all of us kind of go through at one point or another and you know I was just exhausted myself by complaining about it so much rather than taking positive steps so I took a long hard look in the mirror and thought right what am I not happy with, how can I fix it, how does fixing X improve Z and so on and so forth so Essentially, I, I tried online dating and speed dating and that kind of thing just to get out there and meet new people. Uh, I did a bit more traveling, again, following Iron Maiden into like Sweden and Norway, which is, is always good. Um, and that's what prompted me to do the creative writing class as well, just to get out and get stuck in and, and put yourself out there, um, which when you've got you know, anxiety and confidence issues, that's the the thing that you need to do, but it's the thing that terrifies you the most, that just pushing yourself out there. Um, so Bold Going Nowhere is, is the story of, of that. Um, it's not a self-help book, but I, I hope that some people read it and feel some of the, the universal themes and maybe think to themselves, okay, so he did this and that benefited him in this way. Maybe I could do something similar that's more related to me. Um, when I was kind of in this rut, I was looking online at a lot of forums and things like that, and there was a lot of, kind of guys saying similar things. Um, but it's, I, I don't know, traditionally, as men find it more difficult to talk about things that are going on, we tend to bottle things up. That's certainly something I've been guilty of. So it was my kind of response to, okay, let's just put it all out there and try and fix it. Um, and I'm glad to say that I have mostly. I mean, there's always going to be <laughs> bad days and good days. Uh, and not long before the book came out, actually, I was treated for OCD, with obsessive compulsive disorder. So looking back in light of that, that, that explains quite a lot. So that that's something that I'm, I'm on top of as well. i have going through like the. The steps and spoken to a therapist and stuff like that but I don't know that I would have done that without first trying to solve the easy stuff like start dating again or find a hobby you enjoy so it's all kind of related that that's a really big rambling answer for a simple question <laughs> <oppression>, sorry <laughs>
0: no that's cool yeah that's uh like I said when I, I I had no idea until um I started looking into to your bio a little bit that um, that you had something that was um, uh, nonfiction like that, and but you know, several of the Goodreads reviews I read did say that that um, that they felt like reading that book really did help them out with um, anxiety issues or just going out there and doing something that mm-hmm. um, when they said they knew they needed to, but their anxiety stopped them from doing that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I've I've had a few messages um, in the year since that book came out, and uh, people are so. I think they just appreciate knowing that there's other people out there going through the same stuff um, and it's like oh yeah it's not just me this is a, a recognized thing that other people go through so mm-hmm. the, the support is available um, so yeah I mean if I can help in any even a small portion just something tiny that helps someone yeah then then writing the book was entirely worth it
0: yeah well that's cool and and did that uh, inspire your um, your fantasy novel in any way, or was that just something that you um, had already decided you were going to do?
1: Um, I think the plan was always to do something fictional, um, but after Boldly came out, and I, I got into stand-up comedy for a while as well, that I've had to put on the back burner to focus on writing, but because there's a lot of humour and the go nowhere and the stand-up comedy I, I wanted to do something that was just a bit more a bit grittier a bit more violent a bit more explosiony just to to <laughs> um, test different creative muscles um so that's kind of what prompted me to to start symphony of the wind
0: yeah and uh, <laughs> i uh one of the uh the spiffo uh um, judges, I, I like his his review. Is that um, Gallows never hasn't walked into a building that he didn't think was going to explode around him.
1: Last <laughs> <laughs> um it does go through the ringer. <laughs> yeah, so very much a kind of John McLean, Indiana Jones inspiration <laughs> there. Um, yeah, that that doesn't get much better for him in book two, but. Hopefully, I've diversified it a bit.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get started talking about the uh, the book that uh, um, is a Spiffbow finalist, uh, Symphony of the Wind. Uh, Can you give us a a synopsis, an overview of the book?
1: Sure. Um, Okay. Uh, The main character is a teenage orphan girl named Serena. So, the book really kicks off with an attempt on her life that she doesn't realised was specifically for her. It was part of this wider cover-up. So as she looks more into it, she realises she's in the the midst of this huge conspiracy and doesn't quite understand why. So it's partly a coming-of-age tale as well, while she carries out this investigation, um, as well as something that's bit kind of noir influence so there's quite a lot of kind of pulpy characters that wouldn't be completely out of place of a, a Dashiell Hammett novel um, in any of those kind of film noir from the 70s and 40s um, then the other protagonist is, um, is Gallows who's a former soldier who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder um, and depression um, because I really wanted that I wanted a main character who is very clearly struggling with with mental illness, um, but not being the only thing that defines him as well. So through the course of the book, these two kind of very different characters are swept into this dangerous game involving several factions within within the kingdom, um, and, and just about everyone is out to get them. Yeah, um, and yeah, that that without get into spoiler territory
0: that's that's the book <laughs> awesome i, I mentioned uh, already when we were first just kind of getting into the intro um and ta- is that that it really has some impressive world building and um i'm the kind of reader that i drone on about this constantly that i have a a good book is as, as basically like a movie in my mind i don't necessarily remember like you know specific words on a page while I'm reading, and and you definitely yeah. achieve that with this novel. Um, what kind of, uh, um, I guess, background writing did you do for the world building, or was it something that you just uh, winged it and uh, <laughs> it came out this way eventually?
1: <laughs> um, at first, it was definitely winged. Just those first few chapters, I wanted to see if I could write something fictional and fantastical. Um, then once the, the wheel started turning, I was thinking, OK, so I've got I want this kind of corrupt city where it's kind of miserable. There's people dying of thirst every day. But the other side of it is that there's still beauty to be found. Like, uh, you know, Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels like Ankh-Morpork is this huge bustling fantastical version of London and a lot of the time the characters say we don't know how Ankh-Morpork works, it just does, sometimes it feels like it shouldn't, we've got this <laughs> benevolent dictator but this is the best our city's ever been so I wanted to incorporate some of that like it's it's patriotic for someone to both love where they're from and disparage it at every opportunity <laughs> <laughs> So that was the jumping off off point, um, and when I thought, well, if water is such a scarce resource, um, how how does that work in the background? How do they get their water? Where does where does it come from? So that's where the idea for rain catchers came, um, who collect water uh, created from thunderstorms made by artificial technology. So. There was that once this kind of very basic resource need, and then, on the other hand, was this kind of advanced technological side of it. So using those two points, the rest of the world building kind of came somewhere in the middle. I was like, well, if I've got this, it stands to reason that I've got airships that are fueled as opposed to just lifted by air, like in the kind of initial stages where real world airships were propelled by so i had that as my sandbox to work within and then a lot of it just kind of sprung from that and um, i did read up on like have you seen the movie casablanca uh
0: it's been a long long time i think i i had a film class in high school and that would have been the last time that <laughs> i would have watched it
1: probably yeah um so that is a kind of neutral state within World War Two, where people from both sides of the war kind of live in cohabit and I just I really enjoyed the idea of having this kind of place where nobody necessarily was from there but because there were outcasts from everywhere else they just automatically belong and I thought there was something kind of really fun and interesting to write about there so there's lots of kind of people from all walks of life and and. Best Symphony of the Wind based based from that with their own viewpoints, their own histories and their own stories. And Half the fun of writing it was just discovering what that was all about without thinking too hard about it.
0: Yeah, and um, like you mentioned that uh, um, the, the technology, so um, I guess, this, while this is fantasy, it's more of like a steampunk, is that what you, I mean, but it's not, I guess it's not really a traditional steampunk either like you think of with uh, the crazy um, constructs. What would you describe sure. this genre wise?
1: Um, I tend to just go with epic fantasy to keep it broad and simple, but if, if people want to call it steampunk, I'm perfectly okay with that as well. It, it definitely borrows some of the aesthetic from steampunk, I think. Um, there's a, a series called Tales of the KTJ J by Chris Wooding, which I love, and I've heard that being described as steampunk. But I, when I read it, I didn't automatically think that. So, I think it's a, a nebulous enough term that um, it, calling something steampunk doesn't necessarily pigeonhole into this mm-hmm. small, small thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy with people calling it that as well. Yeah,
0: I, I, when, when I when I think ste- steampunk, I think like a. a I, I kind of actually didn't tend to think of it a little bit more in a narrow way than what what yours is. But yeah, so you have um, a city, like you said, um, that, uh, is pretty dysfunctional after basically, uh, um, I guess the easiest real world term is, is that they basically had a crazy mustard gas bomb of some sort that's, I mean, far worse than that, that, uh, that affected their water sources. Yeah. Yeah. The, exactly. the, the last war. And so, um, you kind of have that that level of technology, but then you throw in the, the the airships and the the more fantastical, and that's maybe where the steampunk type of uh thought comes in sure. um with the people do have guns uh generally low, pretty low magic um as yeah, far, yeah, that's for true. for the most part you're not gonna have a, a ton of people uh wizards rolling around uh <laughs> with uh with that but um you said that uh, you kind of do uh, a mix between planning and winging it. Um, how did you come up with uh, with the, the large cast of characters that you have?
1: Um, oh, that's a very good question. So the, the theme, the central theme of the novel is a life without hope isn't life at all. So that's probably exemplified more in Gallows than anyone else. So when it came to... Flesh it out the, the supporting cast as it was, I thought, well, how do they fit into this theme? So Gallo's partner, Damien, who has secrets of his own. So on the surface, he's a kind of well-to-do, very, very polite kind of gentleman who, who has this kind of dark side as well. Um, so he kind of masks his fears and hopes, whereas Gallows wears them on his sleeve a bit more, he, he tries to he's not entirely sure what to do with it, so he, he throws himself into burning buildings and things like that because he has this this kinda death wish. Um and I suppose the city as a whole exemplifies that that theme as well. Um because by by all rights this large invasion for invasive force should have overran the whole city and it was luck almost that the kind of mustard gas slash nuclear bomb they went off ironically was the thing that saved them so it's this kind of melting pot of misery but also recognising that right we're here, we're not out of the game yet, there's something we can do Let's let's just try and Fix ourselves before giving into this kind of dystopian world that seems to be thrusting itself upon us. So all the characters exemplify that in one way or another. Um, like there's the airship captain we meet at the beginning, Serena's boss, who's kind of a bit hardened as well, but he also he recognises that there's still beauty in the simple things of life, like um, stealing a drink that he's not supposed to do, or or I found love in Tierra, who herself has kind of gone through the ringer a bit. So it's like a flower blooming in a dark cave is probably the most kind of cheesy poetic way I can <laughs> I can put it. Um, that, that as dark as things can get, um, there's always hope. Um, and sometimes it's just having to have that realisation and work a bit hard to... Try and find it, which isn't a million miles away from Bold to go nowhere now, I say it out loud, actually. Um, sometimes you can't do much about the external things affecting you, so you might as well look a bit closer to home and think, right, what can I do here and now, and then take it from there?
0: Yeah. Well, and if, <laughs> uh, you know, um, one of the earliest um, points of view chapters is with Serena, who it's funny because she's um since she's only 17 she doesn't know a world that that was vibrant and green and it, it's um it is you see her and and she's just well adapted to it in a way that some of the older characters who do have that nostalgia cuz you get into um one of you know Gallo's early um, memories where he's sitting having a picnic in the grass, you know, and sure, and then sure. you can definitely see that difference. Some uh, with Serena at the beginning, you wonder, you know, if it's been decades and and uh, or like even a century or two where um, the the world's been this way, and then you see that it, you know, that it's in the fairly recent past for someone who's, um, you know, even in their 30s or 40s would would definitely have nostalgic memories of that, that, that better times, but, yeah. um, so how did you go about deciding with Serena, um, you know, having a, a 17 year old girl as your, uh, I guess real <laughs> protagonist of the, the story?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure how it came about, but as part of the clear class that I mentioned earlier on one of the, the kind of automatic writing exercises where we're given uh, it would have been like a word and just take it from there. Um, and I, I can't remember what that word may have been, but I remember having this kind of young kind of orphan girl who worked as a, a rain harvester, I think I called it at the time. And she worked with these kind of older, more jaded people who were complaining that they had to kind of undertake this dangerous work for the benefit of other people. Whereas, because she was a bit more, she was a bit less jaded. She saw the the positives of it. She thought, "No, we're we're doing something good here. It's not all kind of grey and miserable up here in the clouds. There's the sun. There's rainbows. There's life beyond this." So, when it came to writing this book years later, um, I remembered that story, which I don't think I've got anymore, which is unfortunate, but. I remember having that kind of not quite idealistic character, but somebody who's not as completely jaded as everyone else either. Um, and I thought that, that that would be a good balance to some of the more miserable characters. Um, and and it's a character who is just fun to write about. I mean, she kind of came from that initial kind of first chapter. She sprung fully formed. Um and it probably goes back to being influenced by stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well, um, about this kind of powerful girl who has this responsibility thrust on her, but a lot of the time she's cracking jokes and kicking ass, and you're like, yeah, ideally if this happened to me, I'd want to be that kind of archetype who shrugged it off and made people laugh while still getting the job done. So yeah, that that's Serena.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, now that you mention that, I would have been, oh, probably middle school age or so when, when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was actually on TV still, you know, um, yes. with the episodes, and it is funny to think about that, like, she does, she, you know, there's lots of humor in that, whereas um, if you think it to uh, maybe uh, real life, for, if I had been involved in that situation, I probably would have been... Uh, crapping my pants and thinking, "Oh my God, oh, <laughs> there's a Hellgate in my town." You know,
1: <laughs> yeah. You yeah, were like, "How quickly can we move?" Yeah, exactly. So but yeah,
0: and so Serena definitely is that uh, that Buffy-like character. The uh, um, the more more I think about it now, um, I don't think I um, thought about that right off the bat, but it that yeah. definitely is uh, an accurate descriptor of her, with her um, uh, being um, so resilient.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good word to, to describe her, yeah. No, I agree. Um, I think Veronica Mars would be an influence as well, like a teen detective show. I don't know if you've seen that, but she, she's a similar character to, to Buffy. Like, she'll you know, be thrust out of these dangerous situations and she's resourceful enough to get herself out and then more often than not joke about it afterwards. So, I mean, it's probably a coping mechanism, but I think it's something very... Human to crack a joke about something that's something awful that's happened because it, it almost diffuses it or it makes it seem not as bad when you can reduce it to like a one liner. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you've mentioned, or I guess we've both mentioned before, that that it's a, a darker and, and grittier world. Um, Matt, you have some pretty evil villains in this book. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, some characters that that definitely do not have a uh, a strong moral compass, how did you no. go about writing uh, your uh antagonists in this novel? um I think the
1: first ones sprung about from the protagonist's backstory, so I was thinking right were in the aftermath of this really horrible war what what kind of people would a benefit from that? or B, use that as an excuse to further their own ends, or even C, do what they think is right, but use pretty horrific methods to get there. So that's where I kind of started it from. So that there are some fairly prominent characters who are just in it from themselves or doing what they think is right. And then there's the ones that are maybe a bit more, two-dimensional who are just yeah i'm evil and i like it and that is that (laughs) um i mean if every character every antagonist was like that it would get very flat very quickly so it's good to have variety um but it's it's fun writing a good villain
0: (laughs) yeah and uh, i think your villains show the the, that you the interconnectedness that you've talked about earlier where you have the um like all levels of government society are 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 interconnected, and you even have the you know the highest levels of government using those villains in uh, to further both their own interests and sometimes the city 's interests as well
1: yeah yeah um, yeah it, it was it's fun when you write a character that doesn 't know everything that's going on, they only know what 's in front of them, so it means you can allude to and foreshadow stuff that you've planned for later on quite a lot. And then when you get to writing those big reveals and it's a like, oh, it's a goddamn moment. Um, and I hope that comes across for the reader where they're like, okay, I kind of saw something similar to this coming, but it's still surprised or, or the motivations behind it surprise me. Um, so I, I, I think any good story, regardless of genre, has to have the reader in on it a bit, even if even if the big reveals don't work as a complete surprise. Sometimes foreshadowing and letting the reader know or hinting at what's coming is enough to just pull them into the world a bit more rather than just a, a sudden twist, if that makes any sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand that. and, and that, the, Especially like the, um, you know, Gallows, he... He definitely doesn't know what's going on a lot of times or what he's getting himself into, and even sometimes when he does he uh he doesn't realize it quite what he's up against until uh until he's already gotten himself into the fire basically
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, that's very true
0: so um let's get into talking about the the spiffbo competition itself um i don't think I need to spell it out for anyone that's listening to this podcast because um, th- they'll they'll know. Um, it's been a heck of a a contest with lots of swings this year. There's been a far more um, range in scores. I feel like for even for even the top books.
1: Yeah, yeah, there has been. It's it's been wonderful. I mean, that's almost what you want. Not not everyone's going to enjoy um, your book. So seeing different people say different things, or saying... see relax, sorry, I'm muddling my words up no, there. Right. Um, some Reviewers have praised the same aspects in other books, but for different reasons. Other times, it was all oh, the the world building in such and such a book was really great. Um, it was this totally fantastical world that took me somewhere I've never been before. Then another reviewer might say, "Oh, this is so close to home in so many ways that I was unex- not expecting it." Um, so yeah, the the competition itself has has been great fun. I've enjoyed. Uh, seeing it play out I mean I, I've got into the bad habit of um, typing in like hashtag SPFBO and putting <laughs> in Twitter to see what the latest stuff is about which uh, is probably slowly driving me mad and I'm sure I'm not <laughs> the, only, the only entrant to do that but oh it's been great and it's, it's helped me meet so many authors as well just simple connections on social media and get to enjoy like their successes as well like it, I need to remind myself that these people are my competitors, but every time like, a positive review comes up, I'm like, oh, fantastic, well done. Or if it's a negative one, like, oh, commiserations, that's that's rough. I mean, there's definitely not that. You don't feel good when somebody scores less than <laughs> you, kind of yeah. thing, which, which speaks volumes about the competition and the camaraderie behind it. I mean, I think regardless of who ends up winning, it's a, it's a victory for everybody in the community as a whole
0: yeah i've i know i've absolutely loved uh following the competition the the last couple of years now um last year i i was actually i I did a lot better i think i got eight of the ten uh finalists whereas this year uh my first three interviews were just sheerly coincidental that i had already (laughs) read their books and just got lucky that they happened to become finalists after i uh, all right fantastic (laughs) yeah so um but I, I think that one thing, like I said, um, with the range, though, um, I know Rob Hayes um, mentioned the other day that he did get one four four star review during his uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or four out of ten on, on his. But I, I feel it seems like this year has been uh, there's been a lot more of a range, though, where um, some of the, the different bloggers have um, one will give you a, a ten and the other one will give you a four. It, it has been. I don't know if it's just the, the change in bloggers or what it is this year, but I know you were in first place until your last uh, uh, rating came out and it dropped you all the way to fourth.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, but that's all right. That that happens. No book is going <laughs> to please everyone. Um, in, in a weird way, I feel like there's a weight off my shoulders because <laughs> it's, it's almost like it's released the pressure. I mean, there's always that. Like someone is going to dislike the book. I would rather have that happen than spend time kind of fretting over it and thinking about it, thinking, oh, God, what if such-and-such such doesn't like it? So it's it's positive in, in that sense. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can't really ask for anything more than someone's honesty. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah, Rob, Rob did say that, that his uh, victory did yield a, a 4 out of 10 uh, review as well. So, yeah, like, no, you're never going to please everyone, which is fine. It's okay.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess what, um, since you're obviously in a self published uh, um, blog here, or blog off there, um, what has your publishing experience been like? Did you go um, right off the bat self published with this, or did you uh, try the query system?
1: Um, I knew I would be self publishing Symphony of the Wind right off, off the bat um, because I like having control. Um, I like the freedom that it gives. And I also like to get in touch with like, readers. Um, so I've got a mailing list and one of the things I try and talk about in that is, is how indie publishing in particular kind of breaks down the barriers between author and reader. Um, but that's not to say I, I don't enjoy traditionally published books. Of, of course I do. I think there's room, room in the industry for all of us. Um, but yeah, you know, it's been indie publishing's been a, a great experience so far, um, and I've been reading up a lot on the marketing side of things. Like, there's a thriller writer in the UK called Mark Dawson, and he a few years back put a, a self-publishing course together that is so good and worth every penny. Um, like any question you could ever have um, is in this course, and it gets you access to like a wide group of. Of other indie indie authors which just promotes the the community side of uh, self-publishing even more so yeah i've I've got no regrets um i mean if i write a book and think actually this one i think is better traditionally published for whatever reasons then I, i don't have any issues with trying to go that route as well
0: well that's cool um you know and i i don't know i think that at this stage in the game um it seems like a lot of people who are are traditionally published, um, if you're not that big name, you're not getting pushed widely anyways, and you're going to have to do just about as much work on your own um, mm-hmm. as a self-published person would.
1: Um,
0: yes. One thing, you mentioned that you are writing the second book in the series. Uh, do you have any ideas when you're going to have that one out?
1: Yeah, so that's pretty much finished. I'm weighing on some feedback from better readers. Um, I've got one one reader, the author Travis M Riddle, who was in this year's Spiffle as well. So he read it. He he read it in about four days and sent me some comprehensive feedback that was mercifully mostly positive, with with a lot fewer issues than I thought. So that was good. So I'm I'm looking forward to, now that I've spent about a month from typing the end to sending it up to these advanced readers. Um, it's good to go back into it with. A, a bit of a fresher fresher experience <clears throat> sorry excuse me um, so it will be good to kind of recharge the batteries and jump back into it but I get the cover artwork for it in June so I'm probably looking at a late July early August release for, for that one if everything goes well touch wood
0: well that's cool oh. and yeah um, <laughs> Do you plan on continuing in with this world for quite a while then, or do you have other ideas that, that you want to go with as well?
1: For a while, yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking about book three just now, and I'm, I'm starting to make notes um, about that. Um, I think I, when I finished book two, I definitely had a bit of writer fatigue and need to recharge the batteries a bit. So I don't, I, might, I might work on like a humorous short story just to think of something else for a while. But... I'm definitely not finished with the world. Um, and I, while I know a lot of the stuff that's going to happen in book three, there's still stuff that I don't know about. So I, as a reader, I'm excited myself to find out what happens.
0: That's awesome. It does seem like you you genuinely enjoy uh, writing and seeing where the book's going to go. And you're not a, um, you do let the, it sounds like you let the story take you where it goes as it's being written.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I I, I like to work within skeleton, as long as I can get from point A to B, I'm, I'm good, but getting there is, doesn't always exactly follow the same steps that are initially planned, a lot of the time like, oh, this isn't working as well as I thought it was, or oh, no, actually this works fine but it would be so much better if this happened, so it's, it's I mean, sometimes there's a lot of backtracking. Um, that that's down to my poor planning, but it's fun <laughs> as well. It, that that creative spark doesn't go. You don't feel like you're just putting one word after the other for the sake of completion. It's it's enjoyable.
0: <laughs> All right, and one last uh, super important question: um, What's your thoughts on Brexit? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> joking. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: That that's a good question. and I'm not entirely sure there's ever going to be a simple, simple answer for for Brexit. Um, I'm not even sure how it's going to impact the the indie publishing world, or even if it will impact it. Yeah. I think when there's anything kind of seismic, every or people from both sides are always kind of cheerleading the best case scenario and the worst case scenario, and you really need to dig and do a bit of your own research to. Can kind I of find out, Oh, okay. I think this is probably what's going to happen. We can hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and hopefully move forward. And, and <laughs> well,
0: hey, Steve, can you um, give all of your uh, social media stuff that you you'd like have, like where people can find you, and and we'll put it in this um, right here in one spot.
1: Oh, great, absolutely. So on Twitter, I am at shr mckinnon. Um, that was when I was considering that as my pen name, like putting my my middle names and stuff together because it sounds like an <laughs> author's name. Um, but as you know, I just went with my normal name. Um, so that's Twitter. On Facebook, it is Stephen McKinnon, um, and my website is stephenmckinnon dot net.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned that that you decided to, in the end, to just go with your full name. I've actually talked to a couple authors um, who do self-publishing who used initials instead of their full names, and they've actually found that it's harder to, to get their name out there now because when they contact people or are doing their own social media stuff, they usually have their full name. You know, while they're while they're doing it. Or, sure, or, right, so ha- right. I think uh, I think actually using your full name, especially when you are an indie publisher, is actually better. Unless you are worried about having that uh, that wall between yourself and uh, you know, so that a little bit of anonymity. But I think that if you're really gonna try and push your. Uh, um, um, your work out there in the wider world at this point, I think it's better to use the to go with the name actually.
1: right? yeah, well, there you go. that's a, a happy accident. I didn't, didn't think about that to to be honest, Amazon KDP only let you use three pen names. I think that might have changed, but I didn't <laughs> want to. Waste one on what was still pretty much my real name, so I thought <laughs> I would just I would just stick with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Well, hey Steve, I had such a great time uh, actually finally being able to get to interview you today, and uh, best of luck in uh, the competition. How many more uh, reviews do you still have to go? Come. Thank
1: you. I am. Oh, I think I have three or four, maybe. I think it's I think it's three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just check while while we're <laughs> challenged <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. For all my um, searching the hashtag on Twitter, I'm not very good at actually just going on to Mark Lawrence's website and just seeing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, three three more reviews to come. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so we're we're, we're heating up there. There's still a few books that I think are maybe on four or five reviews. So there's still a while to go. And even if I'm knocked out like in the next review I'll, I'll be interested to see how it plays out as just as i do i mean i've been following this competition since its second year so yeah I'm, I'm invested in both sides of of it
0: thanks again for coming on and uh best of luck
1: thank you thanks for having me it's been great and i'm um, yeah yeah it's good to kind of meet you can of <laughs> vocally and, and not just facebook messages but no yeah. it's been great i'm um, Um, eh, I'm I'm glad we finally, finally got it together. It's been great fun. Thank you.
0: You bet. Thank you.